Welcome to this week's episode of A Cowboy Life, the storytelling podcast presented to you by Smoothie King, blending goodness to fuel your greatness. I'm Brady Tinker. This week we dive into the amazing story of Ed Too Tall Jones, big number 72. Ed was the number one overall pick in the NFL draft of the Dallas Cowboys in 1974. Gil Brandt and Tom Landry were so fired up to pair Ed with Harvey Martin, well, well, it's doomsday defense all over again. Please enjoy Ed Jones' story, You're Too Tall for Football. When I first started elementary school, I was one of the shortest in class, including the little girls. Then I started growing in spurts. I actually had growing pains and didn't know what it was because I grew up on a farm and I did a lot of crazy stuff out there from watching Western movies and jumping off horses and all that. I thought it was just something that I was doing that I shouldn't have been doing, but it was growing pains. I didn't stop growing until I was 25. When Dallas drafted me, I was 6'7", and I grew another two inches Wow! since joining the Cowboys. I, I did not know that. And that is the voice of Edward Lee Tall Jones, who played his entire 15-year career for the Dallas Cowboys and amassed 106 sacks and hundreds of batted-down passes. He played in 16 playoff games and three Super Bowls. He was a dominant force for the Doomsday 2 defense. So from small like the little girls to tall almost overnight as a kid, how tall are we talking here? When I was in junior high and high school, my mom had to buy my jeans and slacks and all that stuff about four inches longer. So those growing pains were felt mostly in your legs and your hips. I got it. What about your family, Ed? Just so lucky to have committed parents to the family like I had growing up. I grew up on a, a farm in, in West Tennessee. Never liked that farming though, never liked that lifestyle, but never complained. And my mom and dad only finished high school. They wanted a big family. When they discussed marriage at a very young age, they decided we want 10 kids. Rural farming communities, especially in the 50s and 60s, were famous for families with lots of kids. It takes a lot of strong backs to have a farm. But 10 kids? Here's one of Ed's friends from his hometown of Jackson, Tennessee, one of his childhood friends, Derek Britt. We grew up in a community where all families were families. You know, like you say, that song about a village to raise a child. Well, it was truly a village. Lots of like-minded people working the land, kids playing together and families working hard and looking out for each other's families. Tell me more about your parents, Jack and Abby. They were determined that all of us was going to college. And all of us did. Wow. Eight kids were raised by Jack and Abby Jones, and eight went to college. Eight. Here's another lifelong friend of Ed's, Ken Atwater. I experienced this like any Afro-American teenager growing up in a small town in Tennessee. Our folks were very focused on us getting educated, doing the right things, staying out of trouble, playing sports. Now, most of that sounds similar to my neighborhood in Kansas. Stay out of trouble, do your homework, and entertain yourself by competing. But eight kids, that part's different. Are you guys all a close-knit group? We're very close. We get together every Christmas in Tennessee, where we're from. And my family live all over New York, Chicago, Milwaukee, everywhere. And we have a family reunion everywhere, somewhere different. Uh, my mom thought it would be great if we travel somewhere, you know, rather than just reading history and and seeing photos and all that of different places. She said, you need to see it in person. So we started that 40 some years ago and we still do it to this day. 
I love the sound of that. Families do drift apart when they spread across the country from each other. As everyone in the Jones family was becoming adults, Abby insisted on family gatherings that would bring everyone together and offer an education about our country at the same time. Let's go back to Ed's friend, Derek. I've been to several of the family reunions. Last one I went, we were in New Orleans, and my family was there. And matter of fact, the sisters called me their brothers. Sisters, Derek mentioned, because the Jones family is predominantly women. Abby, his mom, and five sisters to go along with two other brothers. So a friend Derek being another brother makes some sense. It was a tight-knit community, so friends are family too. Plus, they needed some more men. Okay, a farming community, lots of loving family and friends. But let's get to sports. What sports did you grow up loving? Baseball, boxing, and basketball. Boxing because my dad was a big fight fan. And during that time, growing up in the country, most of your parents were either fight fans or NASCAR. And my, my dad loved baseball and boxing. And I, oftentimes I would sit on his laps back when fights weren't televised when I was a kid, just watching the expression on his face, you know, hoping that his fighter won because I knew we'd get to go outside and play catch. That's how I got interested in boxing. That's a great story. I can see you sitting there taking in your father's joy that he had for boxing and anything that leads to a good game of catch with dad is near and dear to your heart forever. So boxing. My mom would always tell me, she said, son, if you do your homework, you can ride your bike into the city, train as long as you're back by sunset. Because on those farms, you eat together. <laughs> and uh, so I would start doing my homework during my last class at school <laughs> to make sure I got to go in. Five times a week, a bike ride into Jackson, Tennessee to learn about boxing because it was your father's favorite sport. Who taught you to box? Rayford Collins was his name, who worked with several Olympians. The first time I went in, he just took me in his wings, like a father figure. Taught me how to wrap my hands, the proper way to punch, hit the speed bag, jump rope, and I absolutely loved it. Rayford Collins is now in the Jackson, Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame, and he famously coached Jackie Beard, who qualified for the Olympics in Moscow for 1980 before President Carter announced the U.S.'s boycott of those Olympics because Russia had illegally invaded Afghanistan. So how good were you getting in the ring? When I got to high school, I fought in the Golden Gloves. Never lost a fight. And I knocked the fighter out in 36 seconds, which I think is still a record in the state of Tennessee in the Golden Gloves. My extensive research team can't seem to confirm that record still sits, but it sounds like that poor bastard had a short night. I made the front page. Now, my little town in Jackson, Tennessee, if you make the front page, I don't care what it is, it's a big deal. Unfortunately for me, my coach saw it and gave me an ultimatum. And he was the basketball and baseball coach. He said, he was afraid I'd get hurt. He said, either you got to give up boxing or you can't play basketball or baseball. Whatever well, was a no-brainer. A no-brainer because baseball was his dad's other favorite sport, and he was good at it. Plus, in basketball, he was tall, long, could score, could block shots and defend, and he could run like a deer. So yes to baseball and basketball, but now no to boxing. That still kind of sucks. I was denied the opportunity to fight for the Golden Glove Championship at a very young age like that, and it hurt. I didn't show it. I didn't say anything. I didn't question him, but it hurt a lot. And I knew one day I would fight again.
Now it's coming together for me on the boxing thing throughout your life, but I'm still thinking about the guy you knocked out in 36 seconds. Was it a hook? Well, he caught a combination. He caught a barrage of punches. Big and tall with long arms and shockingly quick hands. But wait, your dad had to have been disappointed about your being forced to give up boxing. My dad was good about letting all of us make our own decisions about what we wanted to do. He and my mom both, and they supported it. So he probably assumed that I discussed it with my mom like I would do everything because she was the one that really helped make the bottom line decisions. He supported whatever she chose. So Jack Jones's talented boxing son, Ed, stopped boxing when he'd reached gold glove status. But he didn't ask you why? You may have dodged a bullet there, dude. Or maybe you and your high school coach both did. So no, I didn't lie to him. It's just, and, I'm, and I'm glad he didn't ask. <laughs> Back to family friend, Derek. Ed was a basketball player in our hometown, Jackson. Ed played with Mary High, and they would go to the state championships. And my father would travel wherever they were playing. He'd go up there and be very supportive of them. My father telling me what a great athlete he was, what a great fella he was. Ed was always kind, and he was a gentle giant. So Derek got to be friends with Ed later in their youth when his dad had watched the Mary High School team religiously play basketball. There was 10 years difference between these friends. Hey Ed, we're deep into your high school sports career and I've heard boxing, basketball, and baseball. You're a football player, Ed. My senior year, my brother-in-law who married my oldest sister used to tell me, you a football player. And he saw me playing Sandlock one Sunday after church. He said, you are a football player. We never thought that he would be in football. If we had to pick the sport, we would have picked basketball. I'm an All-American in basketball and baseball. So your brother-in-law was not paying attention? I wasn't a big kid growing up. I was very skinny, didn't weigh 200 pounds, and I could run. And he thought I would make a good tight end, is what he thought. Again, James Matthews, your brother-in-law, has good intentions, I'm sure, but you're not buying this, are you? He convinced me to transfer from the country, East High School, to Jackson, Tennessee, the city where he lived, because you had to stay with either a parent or a relative in order to be eligible. So I stayed with he and my sister and tried out for football. Unfortunately, the football coach was also the baseball coach, head basketball coach, and head football coach. Well, he let me practice, but he really wouldn't let me play. You know, he put me in the middle of the line on defense, knowing that I'd get knocked off my feet right away. And then he put me in receive at the end of the game. And that was my football career. At AT&T, everyone, new and existing customers, get our best deals on every smartphone. Why? Because you deserve it. For turning your living room into your office and your gym. For teaching grandma how to video call and teaching her again. It's the button on your left, Nana. Okay, your other left. It's not complicated. Everyone deserves something new. So AT&T has given everyone new and existing customers our best deals with every unlimited plan on every smartphone, even the latest ones. AT&T may temporarily slow data speeds if the network is busy. Restrictions and exceptions may apply. Hi, I'm Clint Tillerson with... And I'm Jay Novacek. And we're both with... United Ag and Turf. Turf. The official tractor provider of the Dallas Cowboys. So, if you need a tractor to bale some hay, a mower to cut some grass, or a gator to get some chores done, get a John Deere at United Ag and Turf. And then, let's get to 
to work. Hey, Jay, that's my line. <laughs> well, not today. Get to work with a John Deere tractor package that's just right for you and your budget. Visit unitedagandturf.com. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com slash cowboys. New Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. You deserve it. I do deserve that. You deserve decadent flavor without sugar. And a day at the beach without sand getting everywhere. And a relaxing bath that your children don't interrupt. I deserve all that? It's really just a visual metaphor for Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. Everything you want, nothing you don't. A visual metaphor on the radio. I do deserve that. Dr. Pepper Zero Sugar. The zero you deserve is finally here. So your entire high school football career consisted of a few games where you were given virtually no chance to play because the coach didn't want you getting hurt and messing up his baseball and basketball teams. That didn't work out too great. What was next? My father passed my senior year. And pretty much everything was left to me. The youngest boy, my mom didn't even know how to drive. She did everything with my dad. So what I did was move my mom to the city and hired a driver and told the driver, anywhere my mom want to go, anything she want to do, you take her, don't charge her anything. You take charge of your mom's well-being because that's how you were raised. But it's time to go to college, and big-time schools have to be after you to play basketball and baseball. I was going to Arizona State okay. to play baseball and basketball. I was, I was a big Reggie Jackson fan, so I was following in his footsteps. But my brother-in-law said, you need to go to Tennessee State. He drive me up to Tennessee State, who hadn't even tried to recruit me, most of them felt that there was no way. Even my local college there didn't approach me. They felt there was no chance with all the publicity I was getting. Okay, first, the selfish me would have asked my brother-in-law and my sister to take care of our mom, and I would have gone to Arizona State. But Ed Jones was raised right. He didn't even consider asking anyone else to take care of his mother, Abby. He loved her so much. And second here, why are you smitten with football when you're great at two other sports? Okay, I'll shut up. We walked into the hit football coach's office, John Merritt. I could tell he recognized me. My brother-in-law said, this is Ed Jones here, and Ed's considering going to Tennessee State to play football. Well, he almost swallowed his cigar. (laughs) And he grabbed his page and paged the basketball coach. Said, Ed Martin, get down here, get down here quick. Ed Martin walks in, look and recognize me. He said, Ed's here considering going to Tennessee State to play football. And Ed Martin said, give him anything he wants. Because <laughs> they felt they'd run me off and they'd have me in for basketball. Tennessee State hadn't recruited Ed Jones to play basketball and baseball because they knew he was going to get big-time offers like Arizona State. So when he and his brother-in-law, James Matthews, walked through their door to talk about football, all they could think of was, wow, Ed Jones is going to be a great forward on the basketball team and a slugger on the baseball team. Hell, it's Christmas. Give him anything he wants. What he wants, however, is to play football. First day I walked in to the equipment room for practice, equipment manager gave me the longest pants they had that hit me above my knees. 
and your pants are supposed to hit you below your knees. Football pants hitch around your waist with a band inside them that you can loosen and tighten since there isn't a fly. There are pads on your hips and on your thighs, and also there are pads that are supposed to cover your kneecaps. Thus, pants hit you below your knees. He said, where these stay out of contact drills, we have your pair made. So I walk on the field, a guy looked at me and did a double take and said, you know, you're too tall for football. That's how I got the nickname. Too Tall Jones, welcome to football. The first day at practice, I got cream at the end of the practice. And it was a late hit. And I went after him. And the coaches stopped it right away. After dinner, three guys that followed me from Mary High called me into that room. Say, look, man, said, uh, we're getting out of here. I said, what do you mean? They said, we're leaving. They are crazy up here. I said, we've only been here one day. They said, man, it's going to get worse. They said, we've already called a taxi that's going to pick us up early in the morning and drive us to the bus station. To go back to Jackson. Are you with us? Off off the top, I just said, yes. When all your buddies corner you and say, are you in? You generally say yes. At least, at first you do. I heard some luggage dropping from the dorm. I looked out, it was them. And I sat there and thought about it. I said, you know, I got too many people, not just family, that believe in me. Also, I got a lot of people in my hometown that feel my parents shouldn't have let me play football anyway. They should have made me stay with basketball and baseball. I want to prove them wrong. Number three, this guy to cream me late, I'm going to get him. I'm not going anywhere until I get this guy. I didn't leave. I stayed. Boxer and football player tough, too tall Jones wasn't going to be run off the football team. You said you grew in spurts in your life. How tall were you when you headed to Tennessee State to try football? I was 6'5". I remember that because when they had to draft, if you were over 6'4", you couldn't be drafted unless you volunteered to be a chef or play sports. When I went down for the draft, it was two guys sitting in there. They said, how tall are you? I said, I'm 6'5". They said, you know you're too tall for the draft. I said, no, I didn't. And one of the guys sitting in there doing this, like, get out of here. This is 1970. They don't have anything for you. Clothing-wise, bunk-wise, nothing. And also, who want to be out there with a guy 6'5"? Yeah, you trying to hide. <laughs> you know, who want to be out there? I know I wouldn't. If I was a, someone, you know, 5'10", 6 feet tall, and, you know, digging these foxholes and servers and all that stuff at war, I don't want nobody 6'5 walking around me. <laughs> You're, like, you know, you're waving a flag. Wave, you, you're a red flag. <laughs> too tall for football and too tall for war. Six feet, five inches and still growing and still intent on playing college football. Coach Gillen called me off the side after one practice and said, look, look like you're taking this pretty serious. I said, yes, I am. He said, you realize if you were lucky enough to go to the next level today, you'd be one of the tallest in the history of the game? I said, I didn't know that. He said, also, you realize the average player played four years? I said, I didn't know that. And he said, most injuries occur in the fourth quarter when fatigue set in and you're not going all out? I said, I didn't know that. He said, if you're willing to keep that attitude, I will make sure you're one of the best conditioned athletes on the field. So not only did I do his rigorous program, 
I also went and worked out with the Tiger Bells. Coach Joe Gilliam Sr. was the defensive coordinator at Tennessee State under Coach Merritt. He would eventually be head coach there too from 1989 to 1992. But in 1972, he was coaching too tall Ed Jones, the basketball player and the baseball player, who was taking this football thing pretty seriously. The Tiger Bells, by the way, that he trained with and ran with were famous for producing world-class runners, including Wilma Rudolph. Ed had to work hard to keep up on those long runs with the girls. The Tennessee State Tiger Bears, during that time, could compete with any other college in the country as far as women going to the Olympics and winning gold medals. I never told anybody how much dust they kicked in my face. Okay, but those Tiger Bells, seems to me athletes love athletes. Any action for a young football player there? I'm just saying. <laughs> no. <laughs> I ran behind them. <laughs> I worked out with them. <laughs> what a talented group. Okay, I was just asking. So it was all training. I just wanted to do everything I possibly could to be the best conditioned athlete on the field. When fatigue set in, if you got to me, I was at least going to be moving. And it worked. 100% committed to being a great football player. The discipline and the drive is amazing, really, isn't it? Was all this about Coach Merritt's leadership or about Coach Gilliam looking out for you? Coach Merritt was a great recruiter. But Coach Gillum was a player's dream when it comes to coaching. He believed in technique. Technique, technique. You went to bed thinking technique. Now we know why Ed Jones ended up so successful, because most of us don't want to go to bed thinking about football technique. And we went over this stuff every day. You just you got tired of it. You know, you want to say, Coach, I got this. He felt that practice make perfect and the skills he taught me got me through college. He taught me how to stay low because the majority of the guys, the team we played, I was the tallest player on the field. He taught me how to protect my knees and good technique, how to get rid of people, you know, to use my leverage because they had long arms. And he taught me all. He built that foundation under me. He said, Ed, this will carry you through any level you ever played. And he was right. And because you, and you believed him. I believed him. So I was ready for the pros coming out of college. Three years of football at Tennessee State, two times an All-American, his teams lost a total of two games and won the Black College Football National Championship in both 1971 and 1973. I'd say you were ready for the pros. When did that start to seem like a reality for you? When I was a senior, I played in the East-West Shrine game in San Francisco. Dallas invited Wayman Bryant, my teammate, who played linebacker, and myself to the championship game, which was that Sunday. We got in that night after the game, and uh, that morning, they had a representative take me to Harvey Martin's room and introduce me to Harvey. Harvard's in there, you know, putting his game face on. I just said, hey, have a great game. The great Harvey Martin, from Oak Cliff High School to East Texas State to the Cowboys, was a Hall of Fame caliber, pass-rushing, run-stopping defensive end who won a Super Bowl and was co-MVP of that Super Bowl. He was also the 1977 Defensive Player of the Year, and he went to four Pro Bowls, and he is not in the Cowboys' ring of honor. And neither is Ed Too Tall Jones. Sorry, but all that had to be said. 
What happened after you said hi to Harvey? They took us to the stadium and Tex Ram and Gil Brandt gave us a tour of the stadium, small tour, and took us down on the field when the playoffs were warming up. Then we went up in a suite and watched the game. After they got upset by the Minnesota Vikings, Minnesota beat them to go to the Super Bowl. I'm going, oh my gosh, what bad timing. Don't you hate it when a big break seemingly gets jerked out from underneath you? So then what? I was staying at the hotel where all the players stayed. When they came and got us to get on the bus, two people sitting on the bus, Coach Landry and his wife, Alicia. And I'm going, oh no, what am I going to say to this man who just lost? I kid you not. I walk on the bus and I was introduced to him. He said, now you're going to have to watch that cutback play that they were running on you yesterday in the game. Otherwise, they're going to get your legs. I'm speechless. <laughs> I'm going, they just lost this championship game. And he reminded me of what I have to watch out for. But I can't believe he even watched that East West Shrine game. So it just blew me away. I just dribble out, sorry about the loss. And, and uh, But boy, that you all play well, something like that. And went straight to the back of the bus. Want to use what the pros use? How about the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys, Jack Black? Right now, you can get the Jack Black Starter, a curated collection of Cowboys locker room favorites for just 10 bucks with free shipping. The starter includes four Jack Black skincare favorites plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm. Go to getjackblack.com cowboys and use the code word TEAMJB. That's getjackblack.com cowboys. The Jack Black Starter, 10 bucks. Free shipping! At AT&T, everyone, new and existing customers, get our best deals on every smartphone. Why? Because you deserve it. For turning your living room into your office and your gym. For teaching grandma how to video call. And teaching her again. It's the button on your left, Nana. Okay, your other left. It's not complicated. Everyone deserves something new. So AT&T has given everyone, new and existing customers, our best deals with every unlimited plan on every smartphone, even the latest ones. AT&T may temporarily slow data speeds if the network is busy. Restrictions and exceptions may apply. Hi, I'm Clint Tillerson with... And I'm Jay Novacek. And we're both with... United United Ag and Turf. Turf. The official tractor provider of the Dallas Cowboys. So, if you need a tractor to bale some hay, a mower to cut some grass, or a gator to get some chores done... Get a John Deere at United Ag and Turf. And then, let's get to work. Hey, Jay, that's my line. (laughs) Well, not today. Get to work with a John Deere tractor package that's just right for you and your budget. Visit UnitedAgandTurf.com. Before there was a draft, you could size up a cowboy by three simple factors. The crease in his hat, the bend of his brim, and his unbending attitude. A man Stetson didn't just protect him from what life threw at him. It projected a rugged, unstoppable spirit. Stetson hats are still American-made with pride right here in Texas. They're still the unofficial crown of all self-respecting cowboys. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Find a retailer nearest you at stetson.com cowboys. That was Tom Landry. He lived in the moment and always had time for a kind word, especially when it involved a coaching tip for a football player that he liked. Always be selling, right, coach? Let's get to the draft. The word around me was, you will go high after all the quarterbacks and running backs are gone. Because during that era, number one overall picks were running backs, quarterbacks. 
From 1936 to 1973, leading up to Ed Jones' draft class, there had been two defensive linemen chosen first overall. Two in 37 years. But the Cowboys remained steadfast that they were drafting Ed Jones in the first round. So when Dallas called me up and said, gave me the date of the draft and said, who do you want to bring with you? First of all, I'm going, who is this pulling this prank on me? But I recognized his voice. It was Gil Brandt. And I said, what do you mean? He said, we're taking you number one. We will fly whoever you want to come in with you. So I said, okay, my brother-in-law, who got me in the football firm, and my head coach, John Merritt. So I called them, and they said, what? <laughs> I said, man, he's wanting now to, he want to ticket us for Dallas. Are you in? <laughs> they said, sure. It can't be true. Heisman Trophy winning running back John Capaletti is in this draft. And by the way, it's a good time right here for Ed to remind you about this. In 1973, the Cowboys traded Billy Parks receiver, Toby Smith, a defensive end, to Houston for their number one pick. And Houston was all excited about it and finished last. And that's how Dallas got that number one overall pick. Man, Dallas has been going upside the head of the Houston football teams for 60 years, which is nice. Okay, let's get back to the draft in Dallas for Ed and his friends. So we go to Dallas and we stand at the hotel next to the headquarters. They sent a representative from the Cowboys over to say, hey, you guys, they have great steakhouses here, whatever. Say, go wherever you want, bring the receipt back. We're going to pick it up. So, okay. So <laughs> I met Coach Merritt in, in, in his room along with my brother-in-law. And he said, look, guys, Ed, they're not going to take you number one overall. And I said, why are we here? They said, Ed, they probably got quarterbacks at some hotel, running backs at other hotels. He said, so let's go to the nicest steakhouse in town and have the best steak and best wine on the menu. He said, let's go. In 1974 in Dallas, you ate French food at Marcel's, Italian food at Campisi's, and steaks at the old speakeasy Kirby Steakhouse. Now, Ed didn't tell me where they went. I just figured I'd answer the question in case you were thinking it. There was a knock on my door at 6 a.m. I opened the door. The representative from the Cowboys said, we want you to meet Coach Landry out in front of the hotel at 8 a.m. to take a photo of the Yobia board welcoming you to Dallas. I said, you telling me I'm on a billboard out in front of this hotel? He said, yes. He said, don't be late. I mean, if you're putting a man on a billboard in front of the hotel right next to the Cowboys facility, he's being taken first, right? You did run and check the sign, didn't you? Went out there, there's a sign that read, welcome to the Dallas Cowboys, Ed Tutal Jones. So I ran and told my brother-in-law first. And my brother-in-law said, you telling me your name's on a billboard out there? I said, yeah. So he started using all this this explicit language saying, if you lied to me, I can't even repeat what he said. He said, let's go tell Coach Merritt. Coach Merritt had already ordered coffee, sitting in his room drinking coffee, smoking a cigar. We tell him he almost choked on a cigar like he did when my brother-in-law first introduced me to him when I was a senior in high school. This is it. Ed Tall Jones from Tennessee State University, an all-black school, is going to be the first player chosen in the NFL draft, I think. We go over and they said, have a seat there. So we're sitting in there. We all looking at each other. 
I know my coach and I know my brother-in-law, they still don't believe it. Come draft time, they called me in there. They announced that I was the first player chosen. Gil Brandt walked over and said, call your mom. The rest is history. The second player in that draft was a running back named Bo Matthews from Colorado. And interestingly, at pick number five, the Colts took defensive lineman John Dutton, who would later star with the Cowboys after a trade in 1979. And by the way, zero quarterbacks went in round number one that year. Dallas drafted me number one overall to be the right pass rushing defensive end. During that era, teams were right-handed. Teams won't establish the run. Most quarterbacks were right-handed, so you had a blind side on it. So that's why they drafted me. Makes perfect sense. Gil Brandt had unearthed a long, fast defensive end to terrorize quarterbacks from their blind side. It's perfect. After preseason, and I believe it was my fourth game, coach called me in and said, you might not like this, but I'm going to have to move you to the left end. I said, left end in a four-point stance, two and a half yards off the ball, keying all these people, because I knew what Harvey Morgan was going through. We talked about it. (laughs) He said, yes. He said, in order for this flex to work, your left end have to be a great technician against the run. I called my coach, Gilliam. As a coach, you're not going to believe what's going on here. They're moving me to left end in a four-point stance that I've never played other than goal line defense. Keying two, sometimes three people, which can take away your aggressiveness. You're not careful. You 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 read too much. He said, Ed, you're prepared to do anything, to play any position they put you at. He said, they win there. They wouldn't put you somewhere if they didn't think you could play it. That's all I had to hear. Wait a minute. That's really all you had to hear? What about the glory that comes with sacking the quarterback from the blind side? And dude, you don't want to get your long-ass legs cut every running play by some tight end, do you? I'm a team player. I don't believe in all those individual stats and all that stuff. Well, I do whatever I have to do in order for my team to benefit and win from it. Ed, you just wouldn't fit in with today's players. Sacks make you money and get you on Sports Center or DFW Sportsbeat. One of the things that my parents taught me was get along with each other, love each other, have each other's back. That started from day one. Ed is talking about day one of his life. Jack and Abby raised a tight-knit, unselfish group of kids who cooperated and got along. Love is powerful, and it's a must in team sports. It's just hard to cultivate. Childhood friend Ken Atwater. That was always sports being played against other people. So we always did it together as a team. So, you know, you're right. Never thought about it, but that is that is definitely true. So it was instilled in me at a very young age, the importance of playing together, working as a team, working as one unit. Big families with close-knit neighborhoods. People have each other's backs. So you're moving from pass rusher to playing the run, huh? I knew that I played the run better than Harvey. Harvey knew it. I miss that man so much. And we talked about this. Harvard's one of the best pass rushers that ever played the game. 
What the move Coach Langdon made was the right move. He moved from left to right, and he was just absolutely, he and Randy White over there was just, I don't have to say anymore, just devastating. So the Cowboys are set then. The flex defense is gathering its pieces to be dominant again. And Randy, he mentioned, is Randy White, the Hall of Fame defensive lineman that was drafted on the Cowboys that very next year in 1975. Harvey Martin, Randy White, and Two Tall Jones. Devastating. Super Bowls are coming. Thanks for listening to part one of Ed Jones' story, Too Tall for Football. And thanks to Ed's lifelong friends, Derek Britt and Ken Atwater, for chiming in on their friendship with Ed. Please, please join us next week for the conclusion of Too Tall Jones' story. You are going to love the twists and turns of this story is yet to take.